Welcome to From the Be All End, the Burnley podcast. Um, we're recording this just in advance of the Everton game, the return of Sean Dice, the Sean Dice derby. Call it what you will, I'm sure Sky Sports and all the rest of the nationals will have a, a quite a fancy title for it. Um, no Justin Connolly this week. He's uh, behind enemy lines in Liverpool. Um, he's gone to have a word with Jurgen Klopp, uh, I think, just to kind of try and set him straight. Uh, but we have got Simon Evans, Chris Borden and Paul Woodhouse uh, with me, Andrew Greaves, to preview the game against the Toffees. Um, let's start with Klopp, shall we? Because it, it has caused a bit of consternation this week, uh, the Liverpool manager. Um, not a fan of spending his Christmas in Burnley. Chris, any kind of tourist places you wish to point Clipperty in the in the uh, direction of on, on Boxing Day after the Liverpool game? <laughs> All about the singing ringing tree, isn't it? But, uh, I'm, I'm inclined to give him uh, the benefit of the doubt there. He's... he's so I've, I've I've not heard him, you know, actually say it. So you know the context in which he said it in, but I, I'll I'll sort of let him off and presume he's saying it's a it's a tough place to go and one of the last places you know you you, you want to play on Boxing Day. But uh, yeah, him, after seven home those, defeats yeah. in a row, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. exactly. But it's it's I, I don't I don't you don't want to look too deeply at it. I mean. I was, some people have been making sort of the wild comparisons about you know Liverpool at the minute. You know, it's a it's a time of year where people sing uh, a certain song to to the tune of Band Aid, don't they? At, uh, at fa- you know fans of Merseyside clubs and uh, people are saying, well, don't you know, don't sort of disparage you know Merseyside and then start disparaging other places. But uh, nah, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I think. Yeah, I have I have heard it. He said it's an absolute shithole and he won't be seeing dead in smack. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean making James, that what you James what, cleverly, is it? <laughs> yeah, make, make that what you will. I mean, I'm just I'm just reporting the facts. But no, I mean obviously, you know, we don't know the context. A lot has been blown out of proportion. I also think, you know, it's tongue in cheek. You know, it's an evening game, boxing day, let's be honest. Nobody wants to be anywhere other than than at home at five thirty on boxing day, do they? Having watched Perhaps a three pm kickoff, but uh, Simon, it's it's always good to ramp up a bit of uh, a bit of rivalry, isn't it? And we've we've had that rivalry with with Liverpool and Klopp, and ended their run and the big bust up between Klopp and Dyche at half time. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with a bit of uh, a bit of light hearted banter, is there? Oh, I'm not. I'm not letting him get off with it as easily as Chris is. You know, I, I've, <laughs> I've sat in quite a few Klopp press conferences over the years, and when he's there's two, there's two or three different versions of Jurgen Klopp, right? There's the one after they win where he's everyone's mate and he's got the smiling face and he's that chirpy German character who everyone liked when he first came into the Premier League. Then there's the Klopp when he loses, who's bitter, always looking for excuses, biting, biting really easily with the Sky interviewers or in the press conferences. 
And even in a even in a even in a preview sort of press conference where he's not had something that's just annoyed him to react to him, it's very different when he's with the Liverpool pack and when he's with a, a sort of broader crowd before a Champions League. Before a Champions League game, he'll he'll generally play pretty straight. But then when he thinks he's just on home turf with the, with the local boys in Liverpool, he slips into things like disparaging comments about Burnley that get a little bit of a laugh from the Liverpool lads. So I, I'm I'm not letting him off with it quite so easily because, you know, Liverpool is a club and, and they've got a fan base that, let's say, do take offence quite easily, yeah? And so and one of the things they like to take offence to is the idea that they were the only working-class town in the north of England that had it hard in the 1980s. The rest of us were all yuppies working in the stock market, apart from in <laughs> Liverpool, where they were like at 75% unemployment and struggled more than anyone else. We all know that's complete nonsense, that the north of England as a whole had very similar problems. And uh, at the time, I don't recall Liverpool fans being particularly keen on uh, solidarity with their uh, with their brothers and sisters across the other side of the uh, the northwest. And uh, so for him to do that, I bet he got a chuckle. I bet he got a chuckle out of the local press for taking a little dig at Burnley. I don't know what we can do to make him feel more at home at Christmas. I mean, what 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 the Germans? I, I once spent a New Year in Germany actually, and I remember waking up with a bit of a hangover on New Year's Day, and it was cold herrings in milk. I think was the uh, delicious Great. breakfast that was put out on the table. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not sure uh, what what would make uh, Jürgen's uh, trip fit, feel better for him, but it's probably just whinging about. I think you're right. It's probably just whinging about having to play at Christmas, of course, which winds me up somewhat chronic because most of the, uh, a lot of foreign managers complain about it. It's part of our game. It's always been part of our game. We used to play on Christmas Day at one time mm. and uh, and they get paid absolutely millions, a ludicrous amount of money to come over um, and play and coach teams in our league and then whinge about having to play on Boxing Day, whether it's at Burnley. Well, I'm not sure he really wanted a trip to Bournemouth away on Boxing Day either, would he? So, you know, I, I, I'm not having Jurgen Klopp's comments like that. I think uh, I think he's bang out of order on several levels. And just in keeping with the 1980s unionist movement, we can now describe Simon Evans as a firebrand, I think. Um, very, very, very off the scargill of him there. Um, we strayed a little bit into uh, Alistair Campbell's The Rest is Politics territory there, didn't we? But, um, but Woody, I mean, I, I kind of share the same view of, of Klopp with, with Simon. I mean, when he came in, he was a bit like Mourinho when he first came in. You think he's this kind of witty, kind of cuddly character. But at times, he's just a bit of a dick, isn't he? <laughs> uh, just yeah, yeah, just a bit of a dick. Yeah, I mean, having lived in Liverpool and Burnley, I know where I'd rather be on uh, Boxing Day. Let's put it that way. And I'm being non-committal, but um, yeah, he's a bit of a dick, and so that's that's what he does. He did it with a, a slightly cheeky smile. It's up to me if he wants to wind wind anybody up. But like Simon said, it could be buggering off down to Bournemouth on Boxing Day. All he's got to do is like toddle over the bloody. Uh, over to Burnley for for an evening kickoff. It should be it should be fine and dandy. They should be able to like get tipsy most of the day. So um, best of luck to him. And it's I mean the defence that all oh, I've seen all the Liverpool fans online saying, oh he's talking about it's a tough place to go. It hasn't been a tough place to go. No, like if you're going to have an away game on Boxing Day that you you and your team might not be like firing on all cylinders, 
based on form this season, Burnley's exactly where you'd want to go. Eh? Maybe Sheffield United and then us, you know. So, come on. He was taking a little pop at Burnley. Yeah, I draw the line when he was whinging about Ben Mee's tackle on Gomez the other year when it was a perfect, which he admitted was a perfectly good tackle, but because the end result is Gomez sliding and breaking his leg on an advertising hoarding, it was, you know, he was out of order. But uh, things like that, that, you know, when, when Sean Dyche pulled him up for Daniel Sturridge doing the most, one of the most ridiculous dives I've ever seen, and then, oh, he's not a diver, Daniel Sturridge. He's like, well, the video evidence there mate you know it was a ludicrous dive it was almost breakdancing in mid-air you know it's just nah he's had his moments on the with the with the burnley uh the burnley support but uh yeah well uh so hopefully uh hopefully dish up a, a bit of revenge on boxing day yeah nice frosty reception for Klopp then um talking of receptions obviously we've got the return of sean dyche this weekend everton are the visitors to turf more on Saturday evening, another evening kickoff against the Merseyside club. Um, Simon, it, it feels, you know, you'd, it, it, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? I always think it's kind of, it's more weird for the fans of the manager returning to the club than it will be for Sean. I, I think, you know, Sean, somebody who will be able to just put the blinkers on, get the game done, probably want to come and show Burnley fans what they're missing. But what kind of atmosphere do you, do you see for this game on Saturday, because I, I I can't quite put my finger on what it's going to be like at the turf on at the weekend. I mean, often in these cases, it's actually quite underwhelming. You know, often often it is a sort of polite ripple uh, of applause, um, no booing. Maybe one or two idiots do boo, but most people politely applaud. It's not going to be. I don't think the whole turf rises to its feet and starts singing Sean Dash's Claret and Blue Army either, you know. So it, it's, I think he'll get a warm reception. Um, I hope he does. He should do. He deserves to. He's, he's uh, you know, Chris explained it on the last pod, really, you know, summed up pretty well what he achieved for the club. I mean, you can just you can just pick out one or two highlights, can't you? And just the, the idea that we ever got anywhere near the Europa League. Uh, for those of us who supported the club, never mind in the fourth division days, but even in the even in the Cottrell days, even in the Owen Coyle days in the Premier League, the idea that we would would go all the way to get into European football, and you know, I, I'm still I'm still not quite happy that that we didn't go further in that Europa League either, and we didn't get into the proper group stage itself. But just being in the Europa League and finishing that position in the Premier League with the budget he had and the squad he had, was absolutely remarkable. And I think, you know, there was towards the end, but there was never any dash out stuff, was there really? People got, people did get fed up of it and, and it did become very sort of routine and set in its ways. And I think he, I'm sure, we'll never hear it from him for years and years, but I'm sure when he looks back, he'll say that, you know, whatever had gone on between him and Mike Garlic and, it had got stale by the end. It had got stale by the end, and it needed it needed to change. Um, but um, that shouldn't reflect in any way on what he did for an amazing decade of turning players as well, turning players like Scott Arfield, who I remember when we signed him on a free transfer after he'd been released by Huddersfield Town, um, and and Burnley fans mourning that you know. Uh, you know, free transfers from Huddersfield, that's not going to get us into Premier League, is it? And 
you know, a player he, he turned into into an international footballer, you know, a top Premier League performer really regularly and then a good little career in Scotland. So he, fantastic achievements what he did at Burnley and I'm, I'm sure it will be strange seeing him walk out of the tunnel and head to the other dugout. It will be very weird and I'm sure it will be a little bit weird for him. But you're right, he'll, he'll have his game, game face on and his game on. I sort of hope that it's quite a cold day and he just comes out in that white shirt though like he did against Spurs in the snow. <laughs> that would be quite a nice touch. Well, so that's yeah, the thing. He'll be, he'll be dressed. He'll be dressed exactly the same, other than he'll have an Everton tie on. Yeah, <laughs> he'll have the yeah. coat that John John McGinn took the rip out of, and he'll have a black suit on, and it'll be <laughs> it won't look any different. So it will. It'll look like he's marching out to go to the home dugout, won't it? So. <laughs> yeah, but I think. I think Chris Borden should be given his place back in the front row of the press conference, though, just for uh, Dash's return. I think. Yeah, with that, big sc- with that big scarf you used to wear, Chris. <laughs> you used to love that big scarf of yours, didn't you? That were that See, like, the old, like, like the old Lenny Kravitz one. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, but he's he's. I, I just remember I'm trying to think. He, he arrived in was it like October of of the uh, the 2012, and Burnley played Watford. In the December, and it was the day we were we were doing the hospital visit at uh, Royal Blackburn. Uh, so we're doing, getting a bit of preview material and just sort of saying like, you know, it would be a bit be a bit weird for you, will it? Going, you know, playing Watford after you know, like six months ago, you were it was the manager, and no, just no no sentiment, no nothing, and he just completely like shut that down, and it it, it was it was you know. You know, solid, solid to that line for uh, for a decade. He 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 does. He's no no medals on display at home, no trophies. You know, I believe if you were to go in his front room, you wouldn't know it was a a Premier League football Football manager's house. Yeah, he's he's just yeah, he's managed to compartmentalize all that. There's no emotion involved. It is business, and you know, invariably he 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 gets business done. I think he's he's going to be. Well, I'm talking. I'm talking to the the uh, the twin brother of a lad who might play uh, on Saturday in place of Jared Branthwaite, Michael Keane. I was with the uh, the Preston squad. They were visiting uh, Royal Preston today, but you know, it sounds like it'd be Michael Keane and Tarkovsky at centre half. Then you know, obviously you got Dwight McNeil as well, and it's uh, the whole thing. You know, all all makes for a yeah, a bit of a bit of a strange strange experience, doesn't it, for Burnley supporters? But, yeah. Bound to be a penalty challenge on J Rod there somewhere, isn't there? <laughs> well, you kind of worried about the other end, weren't you? It was kind of like you know, in the cup game, what was it? The cross from McNeil, the header from, or the goal from Tarkovsky, and the commentator yeah. shouting a goal, a goal made in Burnley against Burnley. But would it? I mean, we'll we'll come on to kind of the game itself, but. It's fair to say that despite the, the, the kind of issues Everton have gone through with the points deduction, it, it's been water off a duck's back for Dyche, hasn't it? I think without that deduction, they'd be up in ninth or tenth. He's had a he's had a fantastic week. Somebody pointed out he'd Everton had got more points in a single week than Burnley had all season. He's he's done a fabulous job, hasn't he? Oh, he's flying. They are flying. There's nothing quite like a points deduction to like really set the cat amongst the pigeons. But there's additional book today about some more points, but I think they'll still wind up staying up if they if they lost another nine. I think they'll be I think they'll they will wind up top off quite easily this year. But I think with regards to Dash, we all know he was obviously shunted out without any kind of fanfare whatsoever. So it will be quite nice 
to see him uh, come back on the turf and at least people be able to, you know, whether they want to stand up, clap, cheer, bounce up and down, shout at him, whatever it may be, you know, some form of goodbye would be quite nice and the Burnley fans deserve that and I think Dash deserves that quite nice. But you wouldn't want it to like overspill into any kind of weirdness with, a, you know, with Vincent, etc., and the and the current side, which I don't I don't foresee it happening, you know. So fingers crossed, we'll turn yeah. them over. Yeah, I mean, there is always that kind of, you know. I know when we've been on good runs, you're always just waiting for that good run to end, aren't you? And um, I know Vincent in his press conference today was very complimentary, as you'd expect. I know Craig Bellamy's very been very complimentary. Um, but Simon, it, it's one of those games we've, you know, Branthwaite's out for Everton. We've lost Charlie Taylor to to five bookings, so there's going to be a bit of a switch around for us, isn't there? Um, obviously, it's the impossible question that we like to ask. What's Vincent going to do? What? How do you see that kind of back line going? Because we've got that conundrum that we had last week. Or do you bring Ekdal back in for O'Shea? Who's going to play left back? It, it's got that feeling of square pegs in round holes a little bit, doesn't it, going into this game? Well, it has to be because famously we don't have another left back. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the nearest we have to a left back is probably Delcroix. Yeah. Um, so he might come into the picture, um, and the other uh, the other option would be uh, Connor Roberts playing on his his wrong side at left back, which I'm sure he could do. Um, I'm probably tempted to go with that option, to be honest. Um, I think he's a bit unlucky to have you know lost his place, Connor Roberts, but uh, Vitinho's done very well at right back, so so he hasn't been able to get back in. Um, that 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 would be the most obvious option, but but Delcroix does give a little bit more physicality, almost like having a a third centre half there. You could you could possibly play with that thing of when Vitinho's bombing forward, they shuffle across and they're a back three. So th- th- those are the two real options. But uh, as you say, Vincent is capable of throwing a curveball, and we see Zorori there. But um, you know, I, I think I, I think I don't think he'd switch around the. I think that decision he made last week, um, I can't remember who was it who said that, you know, the, the thinking must have been, you know, to have one sort of stopperish centre-half in O'Shea and one footballing centre-half in, mm. in in Bayer. Um, I, I would suspect he's probably going to stick with that because they defended very well at Brighton. Um, so I wouldn't expect to see that, that unless, unless Ekdal can do a job at left-back. I mean, you know... Wild, so, absolutely wild prediction, but you never know. I'm, no, you? I'm I not mean... predicting. I'm not, I'm not predicting, <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know. I, we just don't throwing know it out there, aren't you? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. And, and Chris, I mean, touching on that Brighton performance, I mean, superb uh, display from, from James Trafford. We'd, we'd said that, um, I seem to remember Simon uh, after the Wolves game saying it'd be nice if he could pull off one or two miracle saves. Well, he got his wish, didn't he, last week against uh, against Brighton. I, I know we talked about that being the kind of result we needed and performance we needed. It felt almost dice-like, didn't it, in terms of we'd finally found a way of holding out. It was all about purpose rather than substance and style and all of this carry on. Yeah, it's about just having that required resilience, isn't it? You know, it's it's as much concentration as anything anything else. You know, if you you're holding on to a, a a lead or holding on to a point at the death, it you know we talk about you know 
learning learning your way in the Premier League for for, for lads who haven't been in the, played at this level before. And it's uh, you know, well, the hundred minute games now, and you know if you switch off for a second, you get done. You know, Charlie Taylor's you know just got done at the back post, and they, they they've nabbed an equaliser. But as you say, Trafford's you know we. we I'm not going to go overboard again about about the saves. I think he, I think he did what was required of him. You know, give or take a couple of saves, which were you know you know ex- excellent stops. But uh, without James Trafford, Burnley Burnley lost that game at the weekend, and it's it'd be lovely for him to sort of wake up and see all these Premier League team of the weeks with you know with 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 his name in it and people talking about him starting to fulfil his promise after a after a tough start and. Yeah, we spoke about him going up against Verbruggen last weekend, and he'll be looking at the the lad in the other goal on on Saturday night in Pickford, and thinking, "Well, I'm the under twenty ones custodian, and you're the seniors, you know, and I'm I'm coming for you. I want I want to be part of this group. You know, it's it's not beyond the realms that he throws himself into this situation and and goes to the Euros in the summer. You know, he'd have to, you know, he'd have to maintain his performance at, at Brighton, obviously. But I don't think those three goalkeeping slots are set in stone, especially when, I mean, it looks like Pope will be missing for most of the season now. But, uh, you know, it's certainly, you know, Ramsdale can't get a game. And, uh, you know, Henderson's, well... Just not 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 existence at the moment, is he? It's uh, Sam Johnson's manager. Man- yeah, mm. things move quickly on this podcast, don't they? I mean, we- <laughs> oh, it's crazy. But it, but a few, a few, a few weeks a few weeks ago, we had not- should Vincent Company be sacked, right? <laughs> and then and then we we've had two debates about whether James Trafford should be dropped by Murich, and now he's Ooh. going into England squad. <laughs> Well, I say I'm not. I'm not saying he will be there. I'm saying if you know if it's, it's in his hands, isn't it? if he if he turns in, displays like he did last week on a regular basis when it's it's Pickford plus two for the Euros, it's up to him to go and grab it, isn't it? You know, it's we we know he's got the potential. We've seen what he's capable of at the you know the junior Euros over the summer. What people say about him, what they've said about him at Bolton. What Lee Carsley said about him, Cole Palmer, people like that who, who know him really well. It's you know he's, he's got to go and grasp it. Yeah, and Southgate does like promoting players who've been part of the under twenty one mm. setup. I think more than any England manager of our lifetimes, he loves some of those players who've only had a few caps who've come through. You know, places like Chelsea and Palace and so on, where they've been part of the under twenty ones, and they do get promoted a little bit ahead of when you think they might do because they have been part part of that system so it's not i'm not i'm not saying it's completely daft what you're saying chris i would just uh, it's just amusing how quickly we, we these topics move along from like <laughs> dropping to getting him in england oh squad, it is you know? oh. <laughs> agree, it's such a fickle agree, sport though isn't it it's a, it's a we, uh, yeah mm. it's so fickle aren't we i mean performance two to, 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 yeah 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 i'm yeah. um, just looking at, at the kind of um, the opposite end of the pitch, Woody. I mean, I, I think uh, Vincent said today that Aubafemi's short term, not quite. Dice is back on the grass, but um, him and Ramsey are going to be missing. Ramsey, of course, came on and then was taken off with a slight injury. But um, it looks like I mean, Jay's the only option for a you know traditional striker berth. Um, perhaps a little bit quieter against Brighton, but he has been, you know 
Jay had a, a decent run of games, didn't he? I mean, he, he got two in two and then, you know, started to look like he'd readapted to the pace of the Premier League a little. Yeah, no, he's had he's had a good little he's had a good little run out, and I've liked the way that he's he's dropped off between him and Amdouni, and some you know taking turns to kind of drop a little bit deeper, and it all looks a little bit more um, solid in transition as we're moving forwards, etc. And you never know, he may he may start off as we finished against Brighton and Redmond Redmond's up front, three centre halves, two right backs, nobody at left back, and away we go. Who? <laughs> Who knows or dares to dream? Absolutely. Um, and we should really kind of, you know, pick up on on a couple of bits you've mentioned there. Redmond, we've been crying out to see a bit more of Redmond. Simon, this feels like that kind of game where we know what a dash side looks like, where you probably do need that little bit of extra experience, don't you? If, you know, if that's, you know, Johan Berg-Goodmanson or that's Redmond or it just feels like maybe the game where you save a Wilson order bear for the second half or you perhaps, you know, be a bit more conservative to start with because you're perhaps going to get some of them moments where a Redmond with his experience might be able to unlock something that somebody who's fresh to the Premier League won't be able to. I've liked the look of him when he's come on, to be honest, Redmond. I think he's, he's, he's you know, the, the pass he played to Connor Roberts that was almost, almost a goal um, or a, almost a chance. Uh, was excellent. He's done a few times where he's come on and his his touch looks really good, doesn't it? His first touch, he brings it under well and he he moves. He's he's got a good a good vision for a pass. Um, I'm not sure I'd start him, but I, I would expect to see him. You know, kind of game that when we we've got a one goal lead and we're looking to to defend it, he can come on in a, in a sort of more advanced midfield role in place of you know J Rod or or Am Dooney and give us a little bit more cover in midfield areas. So you know that'll be interesting. The big, the big thing for me with Everton is like, and this is really to Sean Dash's credit, the way he's ten, taken Dakuri and turned him from being, you know, a good, strong, mobile holding midfielder into a player who's playing. He's almost like an eight-stroke ten where he's playing so much further forward, um, and he's looking like you know the new Yaya Torre under Dash is is Dakuri. He's, he, I think he's a fantastic player. And somebody who, you know, you're looking at it and thinking, who's going to compete with him in our midfield? Who's going to be the player competing for balls with him? Is it is it going to be, you know, Sanderberg? Is it going to be Josh Brown? That's going to be a really tough... I think that that would be the, the area that I'd be looking at if I was Vincent and thinking, if I have to adjust anything for this game, it'd be to try and nullify him somehow. And I'm not sure how he, how he goes about doing that. And Chris, he is that kind of midfielder we've been crying out for, isn't he? That kind of strong range. He almost like a, a bigger version of a, a Sander Berger who's, you know, perhaps can get from one end of the pitch to the other, like Yaya Turi could eating up that ground, pushing forward, playing that number eight. That was the one piece that we were missing, really. Well, I say one piece, one of a few pieces we were missing in the summer. But Simon's right. I mean, he's a a different kind of midfielder under Dice than, you know, he was almost like the forgotten man, weren't he, at times for, for Everton, that kind of player who you didn't see much of. But he's six goals in 16 games, I think, in the Premier League this season. He's a threat alongside everybody else, Dwight and and Calvert-Lewin. We know what he's about up, up top. They have got danger, haven't they, in that midfield? And do you see that as the key battleground as well? Well, they, they, well, they possess a threat. Obviously, they do. They've got they've got quality in uh, 
in, in, in those areas. You know, I, I, I like Harrison. You know, he's a typical Dyche player, works hard, bit of quality. Same on the other side. You know, Dwight works hard, has quality. Garner, you know, exactly the same. I believe uh, Idrissa Gay's out. So that probably means Onana coming in, who, you know, again, who's that just like a younger, a younger version, you know, technically very good, you know, bit of bit of grit about him as well. But you look at their back back four, and Bar Mikolenko is again another man transformed under Dyche. They've taken hold of him and they've beefed him up. You know, the, the lad obviously had had, had quality, you know, he's you know, Ukrainian uh, International left back, he's you know they're getting goals out of him, but they've they they seem to have, uh, have bulked him up as well, and defensively he looks a lot better. But I look at the other three. I mean, what what kills Tarky? Pace. What kills Kino? Pace. What kills Ashley Young or Seamus Coleman, whoever plays right back? Pace. You've just got to. You, that's that's where we hurt them. You know, the Tarky and Jail have done battle many a time in training, and I'm sure that that almost sort of nullifies it. You know, it, 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 each other out, but uh, it you, we need to we need to get your your older birds in that in that area, maybe a Trezor or someone like that, but just stretch them, hurt them in behind, and uh, you know, because you imagine they're not going to come like you know that Sean's teams with Burnley and go away from home and bank in. You know, Everton will come and try and take the fight to to to, to Burnley as much as anything else. But uh, yeah, you know, I think I think Berger can you know get get to grips with Decore. But does that 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 then limit his you know, influence with the ball and, and and you know building attacks from that base as well? But uh, it's a fascinating battle. Yeah, I mean, Chris said fascinating there, Woody. I mean, I am, I, I, I was just thinking about the Corey versus Berger and whether that nullifies that. But then, does that open up that chance for Amdouni, like he did against Sheffield United, dropping into almost the centre circle area and pushing, getting that ball out wide? Obviously, we've not got Taylor for for them crosses, but you can almost see those Kolyoshoesque jinxing runs from Odebert tying a Tarkovsky or a, a Keane in, in knots like he did with uh, Sofal, whoever it was at, uh, at fullback for, for West Ham, can't you? Exactly. I think, and I think it's a very good point because to be fair, Everton are one of our kind of bogey sides in so much of the fact that they, they're big, they're aggressive, uh, they're physical and they play direct with pace and, under Vincent, we've always seemed to have struggled a little bit with that type of side. And I think this Everton in, uh, incarnation under uh, Dash is very much a part of that. So I can I can see that they'll try and bully the way uh, through the game, but with a little bit of a, you know trickery and fleet of footness and, and pace, we could cause them one or two problems ourselves. So. I think- I think I think that's a, a good good point from Greasy there on on Amdouni. This for me feels like a massive game for him. This is this is a game that's made for for a player who can break between the lines like that with some pace. Exactly for for the reasons you've just been outlining there about their lack of pace at the back. Big big chance for him. He's been close to having a fantastic game or two, anti Amdouni. He's, he's he's shown what he can do. The finishing product hasn't been there, but not been far off. There's been some good efforts that have whistled past posts or just flown over the bar. 
I'm quite excited about about I'm doing it. He's going to have a game sooner or later where one or two of those things really come off for him. And it just feels like this Everton game, for the reasons you've outlined, their lack of pace in particular, is one where, you know, if Jay's up there and he can, he can you know, be, be keeping one of the Tarovsky or Tarkovsky busy, you've got uh, Odebert jinking in from, from the wing and, and stretching a centre-half out that way. And then Amdouni's coming through that gap in the middle. That's that's the way we can win the game, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're not going to make any predictions because somebody pointed out that the two games that we haven't made predictions for so far on the podcast were the Luton and Sheffield United game. So I think we should kind of keep our powder dry in the way that Mike Garlic always used to keep the powder dry at transfer windows in January in the summer. Because <laughs> um, if it's as dry as that, then we 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 could come out on top. But we're not gonna we're not gonna jinx it with the old best time to play Everton and all that shite we usually do. Um, before we uh, before we wrap up, we should touch on this. Um, it's been announced today that uh, Rebecca Welsh will become the first female referee of a top flight game for our trip to Fulham a week on Saturday. Um, obviously, you know, we, we've had female assistant referees quite a while who, you know, I think do uh, a better job than some of their male counterparts, despite the kind of stick that they have to put up with from, from some quarters. But, I mean, this is a real kind of step in the right direction to, in terms of inclusivity. And um, I, I know our kind of former uh, midfield hero, Joey Barton, has, has been going down the kind of, you know, Tim Foyle hat, weird, Matt Letizier, Ricky Lambert, Andrew Tate's bullshit, misogynistic route on women commentators over the last couple of weeks. But... This is a this is a step in the right direction, isn't it? I mean, we want to increase diversity in 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 the game. We want to attract more people to the game. But Chris, I, I know you know you're a former manager of the Accrington uh, women's team. You're you're somebody who's followed women's football for a hell of a long time with uh, with Rachel Brown finish, of course, who we had on the podcast. Um, this is a this is an exciting thing for the Premier League, isn't it? It is, and I'm I'm surprised it's. It's not come earlier. Like I say, I mean, how long has Sean Massey been part of the, uh, you know, the, the furniture in the in the Premier League? And uh, like I say she she's she's managed elite games. You know, she's been to the World Cup, the Women's World Cup in uh, in Australia, and it's how like Howard Webb. I was listening to the to an interview with him on the way home, and he's saying, you know, she's she's ready to handle it. And, you know, you you got to trust. You know, he knows what it's like to handle. You know, Premier League football. So you know, you'd imagine he's got a good idea <laughs> of, of, of when she, whether she's ready or not. But uh, yeah, you can only do it. You know, you can only get experience by by doing it. And you know, you you have to look at the crop of referees that we've got at the moment, and it's all you hear from week to week is, you know, VAR. You know, and we we we're, we're debating refereeing decisions, etc. I don't think she can. You know, you're looking at the quality she's got to contend with you know she's <laughs> what's she got to lose sort of thing but uh no it's it, it, it is a step in the right direction it's it, it talk about when i was at uh with Accrington stanley ladies and you know you, you get sort of the old timer referees that turn up on a sunday but the one referee that stuck with me most he was a a young lad and he must have been 10 or 11 you know his socks pulled up you know no book in his sock pencil immaculately made out and it do you know what it, we all looked and we thought oh my word what we're we gonna have today and he was sensational knew the rules inside out 
was you know just a, a delight to deal with to talk to there was no sort of you know schoolmaster shtick from him or anything like that and you never know you might be surprised you know I'm, I'm saying I haven't seen her officiate a game so I can't come you know sort of debate her uh, her abilities as such but uh, you know if if our web says she's good enough she must be and and Simon, you don't like to name and shame those who are crap, but I mean Simon Hooper, Jared Gillett, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, <laughs> um, which we won't be naming, of course. But um, I mean, as Chris has just said there, I mean, it, refereeing is is a it's a hard job, isn't it? I mean, who the hell wants to be a referee? I mean, who who you know who's where is the ten or eleven year old who ref Chris? I mean, did he what what possesses anyone to take up a career as a match official? Um, it's like Tony Philiskirk, wasn't he? Tony Philiskirk went down the route, didn't he? And obviously, he did, you know, yeah. he's, back, he's, he's back coaching. But uh, we, you know, there's always been a cry for more ex-pros, and we don't, you know, we don't seem to get any who want to do it. Yeah, um, and it is a tough job, and there is obviously going to be the the clamour from certain quarters that it's, you know, equality, you know, equality gone mad. It's walkism and all of this shite that people seem to throw about these days, but, um. We need we need a better standard of officials, don't we? And perhaps, you know, we we need officials coming in who are not worrying about the hair, who are not worrying about having their name on the boots, Mark Clattenburg. You know, all of these kind of weird cliches that we've got with these celebrity refs. It 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 could be the way we need to go, couldn't it? By bringing through people, regardless of gender, into the ranks to kind of shake things up a bit. Well, either she's good enough or she isn't, really. I mean, I don't think there's anything magical about her being a woman or about another referee being the first black ref for 15 years that's going to make them better refs. I mean, either she's good enough or she isn't. It's as simple as that, really. And uh, if she's good enough and they've decided she's good enough, if she's if she's got the capacity for the for the distance you have to cover and everything, then then great. I think the problems with refereeing are less to do with representation and... and and there's, I just think sometimes, I, had, I was sat in a meeting last week at MLS where they were talking about uh, some of the rule changes they're going to be trying out in the second tier of, of, of football in America, just like experimental things, like to get rid of time wasting and all this kind of stuff. And one of the things they're very keen on is something that IFAB have talked about, which is like um, only allowing the captain, the rugby rule, only allowing the captain to approach the referee. And I do wonder with a woman referee there, I mean, it wouldn't be a good look to have a sort of Harland situation, would it, screaming in the face of a, of a woman referee? You know, so that one magical thing that might happen from having a woman there is there might be a little bit more more respect shown. But, I'd, I'd, you know, we're constantly talking about how bad the refs are and stuff. Why is there only one referee on the field? This is something an American said to me last week after this, this meeting I was saying. What is it about football that makes it think that you only actually need one ref there? You could have two referees on one covering one half of the field and the other covering the other. It costs the game next to nothing for the for the cost of it. They have that multiple ref system in American sports. There's no need for a ref in NFL to be running all the way down pitch, following it all the way around and then all the way down for other. Same in NBA with so much close action that happens in each end. There's always one one ref down the other end. I don't know why the game is so stuck. You know, we're, we're obsessed over technology, which doesn't work particularly well, and yet we won't do something very simple. There was briefly that experiment, wasn't it, in the Champions League of having a ref 
by the goal line before they brought yeah. in goal line technology, which was a rare piece of innovation. Why do we only have two linesmen? The pitch is divided yeah. into four quarters for the for the I've, sorry, I've always referees. I've always wondered about the assistant referees. Why would you make somebody run the whole length of the pitch when you could just, you could easily, I mean, if you're not going to have two referees, surely it would then be easier to have two pairs of eyes, especially now they're in, you know, now they're in constant contact through the headsets. Surely you wouldn't then have to rely on on VAR, which is clearly not up to the the, the game at the minute. Um, Woody, I mean, we talked, I mean, Simon talked in the, the pod last week in terms of what Alan Pace could learn from the American game in terms of atmosphere. Is it, you know, does IFAB need to learn from American sports and other sports by having multiple officials, do you think? It seems to be at the minute it it would benefit uh, football from having uh, more referees, assistant referees, more eyes on the game to make sure that everything's being covered off effectively uh, and not just some silly VAR decisions afterwards. But if you look at what happened in Turkey this past week, where that ref got an absolute brain, it's not a it's not a great time to be coming into you know to to be a referee, referee especially after they had all the leagues postponed. I don't know whether that's still the case, but that's a slippery slope, you know. And you can see that creeping in across all leagues if we're not careful. So I think things like Simon mentioning with regards to the uh, the, the rugby rule, etc., anything that shows more respect to the officials and allows for better officiating, you know, should be tried, should be experimented with, and we should move forwards to the best of our ability because the game's getting quicker. It's not getting slower. And uh, we are exactly. officiating getting better. Yeah. Only thing we should it, it kills it. Yeah. Well, it kills the amateur clubs because they can't afford referees, never mind two. And they always, we, we all know, we've all run a line at some stage as well, haven't we? So, it can't get well, well, we've, got, we've got rid, you know, VAR got rid of that uh, principle that the game should be handled the same at all levels, you know, because we, we yeah. now have VAR, you know, there's no VAR in Sunday League. That'd be great, wouldn't it? VAR in Sunday League. That'd be fucking <laughs> Can you imagine? Some you imagine of these tackles, bloke yeah. sat in the clubhouse, just kind of like half asleep until he gets the prod to look on, on his phone at a replay, a badly filmed replay of an offside decision. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? It just did some fresh dog shit, yeah. But it is a thankless task. There's, there's, there's a bloke who uh, runs quiz nights at uh, Nelson Poultry Club, um, Stephen Mason, who was a football league... Uh, do you know him, Chris? I don't know. I'm just... Uh, just Stephen Mason was a football Nelson league... Uh, it was, when, when they were called linesmen. And uh, he did a lot of, you know, he, he did a lot of... A lot of games that weren't uh, weren't televised. There weren't as much television in you know late seventies, early eighties. But he did a Merseyside derby that were on match at day, and came with a, a controversial offside decision, and the camera zoomed right on him, and he was doing that old linesman thing of the keeping his line out straight and his face dead set, not not a flinch of emotion. There's like Ian Rush and John Aldridge or whatever who are like yelling at him for this disallowed goal, and I think he was at Goodison. And it were on match at day, so everyone in Nelson were like, look at that, you see Mason on match at day. And to this day, to this day, people bring it up. I mean, the guy hasn't been uh, officiating football for like 20, 30 years or whatever. He's, uh, you know, he's, he officiates, like I said, uh, pop quizzes at, at Nelson Poultry Club. But he, for the rest of his life, he'll be remembered for one offside decision in a Merseyside derby. So 
thankless task, definitely. I've got visions of uh, of him standing waiting for the X forty three and the the bus driver just hurling abuse at him with his arm outstretched as though it was an offside decision <laughs> as the X forty three goes past him on his way to Manchester. But um, we should just point out the black referee that Simon uh, mentioned is Sam Allison, who's becoming the first black official to take charge of a, a Premier League game when he takes charge of Sheffield United versus Luton Town uh, on Boxing Day. So definite uh, advancements in terms of uh, diversity and and um, hopefully in terms of the standard of officiating in the Premier League uh, with those appointments as well. Um, I think we'll leave it there. We, we, we'll be back on uh, on Monday with a debrief of the uh, the Everton game. I think it's fair to say we're all quite looking forward to, to seeing this kind of mix of styles and uh, I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, don't forget you can follow us on social media at B-Hall Podcast on X. Uh, formerly Twitter and Facebook. And don't forget to like, rate, share, subscribe, tell all your friends, keep us uh, keep us in that top 100 of the iTunes charts, which we are doing, the Apple podcast charts. We've been in in the uh, the top 100 football podcasts in the UK now for the last few weeks. So um, your support, very much great, uh, gratefully received. So uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, and until Monday, enjoy the rest of your week, enjoy the weekend, enjoy the football and up the clarets. Jimmy McElroy to Upton. Go!